And so we know this prayer, and sometimes we become overly familiar with it. How many know that sometimes we get so familiar with something that we really don't value what it is? Amen? I just saw a couple spouses elbow their husbands and wives. And, now, we, sometimes we do that in relationships, but we do it with prayer. Um, I don't know about you. I was raised Catholic, so I had prayers that I prayed, and, and I would just learn to just burn right through it. Now, I never, I wasn't that devout. So I didn't go to like confession and have penance and all that. But people that did, is anyone here raised Catholic? Okay. It, it, you know that if, if you did and you were raised Catholic, that you'd want to get through that penance, right? How many Hail Marys did you have to say when you went in there, Kevin? No, I won't ask. <laughs> but you, you learn that prayer. To the Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, blah, 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 you know. But sometimes we do it with the Lord's Prayer as Christians, as Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians, we get too familiar with the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to look at uh, what it means to us. How do we relate? And today I'm going to talk about discovering the heart of God in the Lord's Prayer. Now, let me give you a little, a little more intro here. The Lord's Prayer or the prayer of a rabbi revealed his theology, what he thought about God. So in, in, in the time of Jesus, his contemporaries, the other rabbis, the Pharisees, they all had their prayers. Some of them were Old Testament prayers that were well-known in Judaism. And, and so Jesus is revealing his understanding of who God is. This is a big deal because Jesus is the light. He is the, the substance, the reality that the Bible says. Um, when the Old Covenant prayers and revelation of God is a shadow so the Old Covenant is from Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. The Old Covenant is the shadow. Jesus is the reality. So in Christ, we have the perfect revelation of who God is. How many find that exciting? How many know there's a lot of confusing things if we don't read the scripture through the lens of Jesus? We've got to read the scripture through the lens of Jesus. The scripture points to Jesus, who is the eternal word of God. So the written word of God points to the eternal word of God that is living and powerful. Come on, the Bible says sharper than a double-edged sword, pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit. It is a discerner of thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the word of God, the truth of God. The reality of who God is, is revealed perfectly in Jesus. Can I hear you say amen? Now, you, you're familiar with that if you come to this church. You're familiar with how we, how we read Scripture. We, read, we don't read Scripture like it's a recipe book, like a flat book, that it all contains the same authority. It's all useful, but it's not all applicable. Now, if it's all applicable, then you're breaking a lot of rules in Leviticus right now. You're not even supposed to be in the sanctuary with glasses on. Or if you have, I, I mean, there's like so many things in Leviticus that if we tried to practice them today, we'd probably go to jail. Seriously. And so it's, it's all useful, but it's not all applicable. How many know we're a part of a new and better covenant? How many know Romans chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 8 says the old covenant is, is obsolete. Oh, I love that word. It's obsolete. In other words, I'm not under the Ten Commandments. I'm under the one commandment that I love like Jesus loved, which fulfills the law. You see, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. This is what basically is hanging on all the law and prophets. He's not telling the disciple, the Christian, this is how you're supposed to live. Love God and love your neighbor. 
No, he's saying that sums up the law and the prophets. The new commandment, I'll do a whole series on this, but the new commandment is love as Jesus loved us. Which is a whole nother level. Say a whole nother level. And the only way you can do it is because you're a new creation in Christ and you receive the grace, the nature of who Jesus is, the revelation of who he is. The Bible even talks about at the revelation of Jesus, we receive grace in 1 Peter. So through the revelation of who God is, you receive grace, you receive the very nature of who he is, and you rise up, you come alive in your identity in Christ, which means you can love like Jesus loved. I know it sounds impossible, but it's not impossible. As we're yielded to the nature of Jesus, he is inside of us. His spirit is within us. Galatians 4, 6 says that the spirit of God took residence in us and we cried out, Abba, Father. And Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. And in the Lord's Prayer, we see this beautiful progression. Even in the Scripture, the the Scripture is a progressive revelation. And ultimately, we see what God looks like when Jesus shows up because He is God incarnate. He is the incarnation of God. God shows up in in flesh because that's how much He loved us. that He didn't want to let us go. And he wanted to join himself with us. And he was willing uh, to do whatever it took to, to have union with us, even if it was death and resurrection, even if it was taking on all the sin and taking it into the grave and swallowing up the carnal cancer of sin in the cosmos. Oh, are you feeling me this morning? And, and swallowing it up and then bringing in a, a new creation for the cosmos. I, I, I don't know about you, but to me, That's a big deal. And if we stop and we say, wait a minute, at Jesus we have the perfect revelation of God. And in the Lord's Prayer, we see this this unfolding revelation of the very heart of God. And so let's just, uh, real quick, let's recap. Let's put up Luke chapter 11, if you would. We're going to read through the Lord's Prayer. Now remember, Luke's version is a little different. It's a little cut and dry because he probably translated it right how Jesus said it. Um, those of you that know, historically, Luke was a physician, and, uh, and there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of detail in the Gospel of Luke. So in Luke chapter 11, it says he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Now, before you go to the next verse, they all knew how to pray. What they're asking is, Lord, teach us the right way to pray. Reveal to us what is revealed to us really what what the heart of God is because the prayer of a rabbi or a teacher revealed the theology of that rabbi or teacher. Are you all with me? So now as we journey, this is the beginning of the prayer in Luke eleven verse two. Here's what he says: When you pray, say Father. Say Father. Father. Now in Aramaic that would be Abba. Paul uses this in Galatians four six. In Hebrews eight, or I'm sorry, Romans eight thirteen, he uses the same Aramaic word Abba. Now this word is not Father; it's Papa, it's Daddy. It's an affectionate yet reverent form to address God. This is a revolution to prayer in Jesus's time. Like you're talking to the Creator of the universe and you call Him Papa. That's powerful. Some of, so many of us still have this transcendent view of God where he's just so far. 
And we have this idea that, you know, we can't even say his name. We can't even spell his name, right? It's like G hyphen D. Or when you're in prayer, you have to make sure you say Yeshua. Or, you know, it's like, well, the name, the, God's name is too holy to be spoken. Or, and we have all this, these ideas. And I understand the reverence behind that, but the reverence in the hearts of people behind that. But you don't have to say like God, the one who transcends all the universe. You can say Papa. Hello? Jesus came to reveal a creator who's near, near to the broken, loving the broken, the one who cares if a sparrow dies. Now, in Jesus' time, if you said something, if, if, if a rabbi heard you say, God's mercy be upon this bird's nest, they would silence the person who said that. So when you read in Matthew, when Jesus says, hey, when a sparrow falls, your papa in heaven cares. He was basically revealing what God really looked like. In other words, no, God does care about the little things. Look at the person next to you say, Papa cares about the little things. He cares about every detail of your life. He has every, this is what Jesus said, every hair on your head is numbered. For some of us, that's easier than others. Glory to God. I did that joke last week. I thought I'd do it again this week. Jesus reveals a God, a creator who cares about every little thing and values creation and values his children. So he says, Father. Now the next line is, your name be honored. No, you're you're good. Leave it there. The next line is, your name be honored as holy. Other translations say, hallowed be your name. Uh, I like Eugene Peterson's, which I think it captures the Aramaic prayer that Jesus actually spoke, which is reveal your distinctiveness or reveal who you are. The opposite of holy or hallowed is confusion. When Jesus was praying Abba, he was revealing the heart of who God is, the creator of the universe. And then he says, reveal who you really are. In Jesus' time, a lot like today, there's a lot of gods out there. There's there's even a lot of gods in Christianity. You see, there's a lot of Christians who who love Jesus, but their view of God is a bit skewed. It's, It's still contaminated with the old covenant understanding of God, or it's still contaminated maybe with how one reformer saw God. Uh, 500 years ago, or maybe it's contaminated with something else in church history, another theologian that influenced Western Christianity like St. Augustine. So we have a lot of different gods, a lot of different understanding of who God is, even in Christianity. For example, we have the understanding in a lot of Christian circles that God is exhaustively controlling everything in our life. Now this comes from more of a Greek philosophical concept of God, that came into the church around the 4th century from St. Augustine. He was mentored by a Neoplatist. He was mentored by a guy named Platonus who had a totally different view of God. It was a God who exhaustively controlled everything. It's where we get the the theological term impassable. This comes from St. Augustine. This was not how the early church believed Jesus revealed the heart of the Creator. Are you all with me this morning? Now, I'm going to teach you for a minute because this is the foundation. The revelation of who God really is trumps the shadow. It completely, in some ways, opposes the shadow. One of the reasons the Pharisees did not receive what Jesus taught is because it was a different type of view of God. It was a different view of what God looked like. 
It wasn't this retributive, angry God. It was a God who cared and a God who loved and a God who forgave. A God who was compassionate. A God who would touch lepers. Come on, somebody. A God who would get down and and love sinners. A God who would eat with, with people that the Pharisees wouldn't even talk to. There's something that's so profound. If you see God in the revelation of Jesus, it trumps all the other stuff. So when I think about, well, well, God, does he exhaustively control everything? Like God is in control of everything. If that's the case, then he's responsible for everyone going to hell right now. Or he's responsible for all the abortions. Or he's responsible for rape and murder. It's going on today. Now, I'm passionate about this stuff because we need to represent who our daddy in heaven really is. Jesus is not responsible. Some things in the world happen because of sin, because of people making wrong choices. It doesn't mean it's God's will if it happens. Yet many Christians today will say, well, God is in control. And it's this weird, uh, honestly, I think it's like a a very demented, false comfort for some people. Because if you say God is in control when somebody dies that, that was young or, or some tragic thing happens, you know, God forbid, I'm, I'm relating to somebody in this room that has had something recently happen, but things happen in this world, but it doesn't mean God did it. It doesn't mean it's God's will. And Jesus came, if you look at the progression of the Lord's Prayer, he, he says, reveal your will. Let your will be done. In other words, your will isn't being done all the time. But some people's view of God, there's a lot of different gods in Christianity. See, we've got a lot of mental baggage that we've got to get rid of. But when we come to the living Christ, we see who God really is. That he's far more loving and compassionate than we can comprehend. He values us beyond our comprehension. And it's not like ultimate goodness or ultimate, that's a Greek philosophical concept of God. It's beyond what you could think, hope, ask or even believe. And at the revelation of God, at the revelation of the heart of God, we become more Christ-like. When we yield to who Jesus is, we're conformed to the image of Jesus. Can I hear you say amen? So you have all these different concepts of God. Now Jesus, in this one prayer, is changing it. When you see God perfectly revealed in Jesus, it ends confusion. I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, I look at the journey I've been through, when I look at how I journeyed, when I started, when I got married, and how it turned out, I I thought it was going to be totally different. And in a lot of ways, it's so much better. When we planted the church, that whole journey, it, it turned out so different. The way I envisioned it and the way we envisioned God needs to be revealed in Jesus Christ. Not just what someone taught us, but we have to think for ourselves and learn of the living Christ through the power and revelation of the Holy Spirit, which is what Pentecost is about, about the revelation of Jesus, the spirit that proceeds from the Father, that Jesus said, he will make me plain to you. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus is. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you and manifest it and reveal it to you. Our inheritance as sons and daughters, our identity in Christ. And in some ways we think, well, 
you know, I kind of like my, that other view of God because there's this false sense of comfort. If God is in control, then I don't have to worry about anything. Then, but realistically, it means that we're going to have to be more responsible. That's right. Like you can't weep with someone who's hurting, really, and bear their burden if you think God did it. If you think it was God that took their baby and, and, you know, someone had a miscarriage or a stillborn that, well, it just must be God's will. No, that's not, that's not true. It's not biblical and it's not the God that's revealed in Jesus. The God revealed in Jesus loves and cares for the broken. He's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. The God of Christendom in Western Christianity in many ways is emotionless. That's the word impassable. Fourth century, St. Augustine, he's the one who said, God is in control. The very saying you're actually quoting, when we say that as Christians, we're quoting a fourth century, century theologian that had a different concept of God. So could it be we need to get back to Jesus? Maybe we need a clear revelation of who Jesus is. And when that happens, we're changed because we get a revelation of the heart of God. So he starts the Lord's Prayer, Luke 11, Papa, Abba. It's an affectionate, intimate, yet reverent and respectful form. And he's calling the creator of the universe, Daddy. So powerful. And he says, reveal who you really are. Hallowed be your name. Unconfused. Your name, in other words, reveal who you, your very being, your very who you are. Reveal who you are, because there's a lot of confusion out there. Even the people that read the Old Testament, there's a lot of confusion in Jesus' day, and there's still a lot of confusion. But Jesus reveals who God really is. Hallowed be your name. Reveal who you are. Reveal your distinctiveness. Then He says, "Your kingdom come." And we're going to stop there in that progression. I want to quickly go to Luke chapter 24. Now, I want to talk to you about this. I didn't plan on saying all of that, but I plan on saying some of it. Uh, but our journey as a church has turned out so much different than what we anticipated. In a lot of ways, so much better. But I'm going to tell you, I remember when we first started, um, how many know that when you start the journey, you have an idea of how it's going to end? But then when you finally get closer to your destination, you're like, oh my gosh, I did not think the journey was going to end up like this. Amen. And we have these sayings like, you know, you know, God works all things together for good. Romans chapter 8, we quote that scripture and we have this idea that, that God basically takes everything and it's, it, he intends it for his good. Um, now, in one sense, it's true that God can use anything for his good, but it doesn't mean he originated it for his good. Amen? Huge difference. It's so important you get that concept because we'll still say it and still think it. It takes a long time to get decontaminated from the religious pollution of that wrong view of God. So God can use anything he wants, but it doesn't mean that he authored it. So we have this catch-all for divine providence, these sayings that we say, you know, God is in control, or, you know, God, all things work together for good. Everything, everything is for a purpose. Really? I think God can use something, but it doesn't mean he originated everything for a purpose. 
big difference. He can weave something messed up into the tapestry of his plan, but it doesn't mean he authored it. I want to camp there for a minute. I want that to settle in your hearts. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when people misrepresent Papa. I don't like it when someone says, well, God must have allowed you to have cancer because he's trying to teach you a lesson. Or when somebody says something about a tragedy in someone's life that, well, you're just like Job. You must, you're just being tested like Job. What the heck is that? Yet it's such a, a, a systemic understanding in, Christ, in Christianity of how we have worldviews. Well, it's just, it's just like Job. We're just like Job. Job was a poetic book in the Old Testament, most likely a real person, but most of his theology was bad and he repented of it at the end of the book. Job is the question. Jesus is the answer. That's what Bill Johnson from Bethel Church says. I love that. Job is the question. Jesus is the answer. You know, the the famous passage that's always quoted at funerals, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Say that at a funeral that a mama is mourning over her baby. She's identifying with that catch-all verse that the Lord took my baby. Well, what if the Lord didn't take her baby? What if it was a result of a fallen world and imperfect bodies and just stuff happens in life? Things move to natural uh, laws and spiritual laws. Are you with me this morning? Job said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And at the end of the book, he repents for that bad theology. Yet we still are quoting the bad theology. Yet we still cleave to this stuff. We, we, we hold on to these sacred cows. They're, it's like a, a systemic sacred cow that Christians hold on to. Well, it's, it's our view of God. It's the same idea that we want God to take vengeance on our enemies. Instead of forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's what Jesus did when he was crucified, and you've never been crucified. Maybe metaphorically in a very small sense. But we still hold on to these understandings of God when in Christ, the light, the God of God and the light of lights, come on, we see who God really is. He is the the invisible, glorious expression of what God really looks like. Jesus reveals that to us. On my journey, I first got married, and I thought everything was going to be perfect. Come on, newlyweds or people that have been married just for about two years, uh, rude awakening, right? I thought I was going to come home, my wife's going to have everything ready, dinner ready at night, and well, honey, you know, like leave it to beaver style. <laughs> I come home and every and food was going to be all ready to go. And, you know, let's watch a movie, darling. What would you like to watch? How about leave it to beaver? Yeah, you know. And, and you know, life isn't perfect. Stuff happens. And I remember just the love that we had, the love, the chemistry and the love and the connection and, and just, you know, dating my wife and, and me just wooing her and, opening the door for every time that we went out. When was the last time I did that? Oops. You, you know how different guys act when they're dating and trying to woo someone, right? Everything changes a little bit. Like people's true colors show. We all bring baggage into relationships. How many know what I'm talking about? 
we're imperfect people. I didn't think it was going to be as hard as it was the first couple of years. I thought it was going to be perfect because I'm perfect. And I can fix my wife, right? That's what I thought. And she's submissive. Praise God. That's what a man needs, a submissive wife. Isn't that just an awful way to think? Well, it's in the Bible. Yeah, to people that love their wives like Jesus loves the church. Not subservient, but coming alongside in harmony and in love. But I remember my wife and I got married. And I'm thinking like, man, this is going to be amazing. We're going to have two kids and, you know, just, that's, that was our idea. Maybe, maybe one more, you know, to the quiver. So our quiver's kind of full, praise God. And I, I didn't know that it was going to turn out the way it did. It's been amazing, but the journey started out and I envisioned something and then there was obstacles, but I had no idea that these obstacles were actually what, what God used and, and what I needed to, to learn how to love in a deeper way. See, I envisioned something and, and I got something entirely different. But I was falling deeper and deeper in love with my wife. And today, after almost 16 years, I love her more than I did the day that we got married. And I remember the moment that she walked down the aisle. It was like time stood still in that moment. She's walking down. I could, I could see her eyes so vivid. The memories just branded, branded in my heart and my mind. And I love her more than that moment. And then we went on a journey. How many know sometimes a journey turns out a lot different than you think? You know, Rob and Millie move out here looking for community and connection in Las Vegas and you know, we connect well with them. And then they get the news that their, their son is diagnosed with leukemia. Like the journey, sometimes it gets crazy, huh? I think God, God does things and, and we, we get stronger and we rise up. And we learn to love and, and, and Titus is doing great. Come on, he was in remission the first week and a half. But the journey's rough and sometimes we think it's gonna turn out one way. But it doesn't matter what happens. Jesus is always the answer. There's all these confusing ways to put it, and we want it, we want it laid out on a spreadsheet. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the answer, not the spreadsheet. You can theologically try to break down why evil happens, and you know, we have all this stuff. Listen, Jesus is the answer. Crap happens. Sounds like a good bumper sticker. But I want to show you a picture of my wife and I. We first fell in love and, and life was so amazing. And this, this is us uh, actually after we were married a few years. We couldn't find any of the old ones. You don't want to see the old one anyways. But that's us. And, and we were, we thought we knew what perfect love is. Let that sink in for a minute. It's like when we started the church. I know what God looks like. I know theology. I know the Bible. Oh my gosh, how my theology has changed. The, listen, I was, I was confident about things, but I shouldn't have been certain about them. Big difference. Because there's a conversation and the heart of God is continually being revealed to us as Christians. Relationships change. Things happen. But I'm, I'm called to love and I'm called to learn God's heart so that I can be who God created me to be in the earth. 
and first and foremost, that's a, a loving husband. I get married and, and you know, honeymoon night. Come on, somebody. I said I got some Marvin Gaye I'm going to put on repeat. That's a double lip bite. Mm. White folks do the single lip bite. If you got soul, you do the double lip bite. Mm. Yes, Lord. When Laris plays drums, he does the double lip bite. Mm. Double lip bite. Had the lights dimmed, Marvin. I mean, the honeymoon was going to be perfect, right? It's going to be perfect. It wasn't perfect. It was great, but it wasn't perfect. My first two years of marriage were great, but it wasn't perfect. But I learned that it was through the valleys that fruit would grow. I learned that through the broken places, that's where God revealed his heart to me because I would actually slowed down enough to listen to his voice. I had to be free from a lot of things I drug into my marriage. I had to learn to love. I had to learn to love my wife like Jesus loves his bride. What a journey. I didn't know it was going to turn out the way it did. I want, I want to show you my sons right now. Now, now, this is where God just starts adding to our family. I want to show you first a picture of my sons. How many know David and Josiah? Come on, look it. I didn't envision that my kids would be this good looking. Come on, somebody. Go back to my sons real quick. I, I did not know that this, this, these two kids right here, the sons, were going to be so funny. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. I remember when it was just Sarah and David, my first two, and we're down in Arizona on vacation, and it was perfect. And I couldn't imagine having another kid. And then Rochelle got pregnant with Hannah. As a matter of fact, that first picture of Rochelle and I was after she had had Hannah. And we're so in love. We've been married a few years, you know. And so my, I have two boys, I have two girls. That now, and then we, recently we had Layla. I had no idea... I was going to end up having five kids. Now let's let's go to my girls. Look how handsome those boys are. They're just so I just love them so much. If there are ever when we're worshiping, I can, I just grab them. I just love. I tell them how proud I am of them. So here's my beautiful girls, Sarah and Hannah and Layla. Come on. Now I know every parent thinks their kids are the cutest, but I got some really good-looking kids. Right. Just nod. I'm the pastor. Just flatter me. Thanks. Look at these girls. My daughter Sarah was just sitting here worshiping during worship. Her eyes closed. And her, she has like the most tender heart. She loves broken people. I remember the first time I saw the, the anointing as like a missionary on her. I remember speaking it over her and she just breaks down. Like she wants to go to like a school of ministry and then go to Africa. I don't know how I'm going to let that happen. (laughs) My little firstborn, Sarah. She's so beautiful. My little Hannah, I call her my little Hannah Grace. Because anytime I need a hug, I'm like, I need some grace. And it reminds me of the grace of God that flows to me every second of every day. 
And at any minute, my little Hannah, daddy's little girl, will just run to me. I need some grace. And she just runs and gives me love. And then my little Layla, my little fiery redhead, that little sweetheart. She's so amazing. But I never knew it would turn out like this. I actually didn't think it would be this good, although I've been through hard times. In some ways, I thought it would be different, and in some ways, it's way better. It's beyond what I dreamed. That's how God looks at you. He says, you're just the way I dreamed you. We don't have time to go to the text. Let me just read something to you here. Oh, let's, let's do the last one. Let's do the big family photo here. We have one more addition to our family, our spiritual son, Laris. Look at that. I never knew the love that we had for one another would produce that. Actually, Laris is not our biological son. I don't, I don't know if he knew. Sometimes he thinks he is. Daddy, will you hold me? Yeah, for a minute. I never knew that a church plant in a coffee shop was going to turn into this. In some ways, I thought it would be bigger. Like I thought we'd be at a thousand church members by now. Maybe we're only at a few hundred, but guess what? God said, I want you to go deeper because I'm laying a deeper, heavier foundation because where you're going. The love that you want means you, you need to have deep roots. The community you're looking for and you're dreaming that I want to give you has got to have some deep roots. And you've got to be ready and your heart's got to be ready. The capacity that you have to love has to be great. Because you're going to go through some things. Because in deep relationships, there's deep pain or vulnerability to pain. Amen. But I never knew it was going to turn out to be this amazing. And I, I think about the journey. And I think about our revelation of God. And I think about how I first thought God looked like. Or what he first was to me as a Catholic and, and a young man. And then maybe a time where I didn't even believe in God. And then God began to woo me and reveal himself to me. And I was running. I was a rebellious teenager and he was just drawing me to his heart and drawing me to who he was. And then I meet Jesus and I'm like, this love can't be real. This acceptance and this forgiveness, something is wrong here. This is not the God that religion taught me. But let me tell you something. It is the God of God. It is the creator of the universe. Our Papa in heaven that Jesus reveals is beyond what we could think, hope, or ask, or even believe God for. I want to read Ephesians real quick. Let's close with Ephesians. I was going to read a, a, a quote to you, but I'm, let's read Ephesians and we're going to close. Are you enjoying this this morning? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read the prayer, the apostolic prayer of Paul to be filled with the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. What a great prayer for Pentecost Sunday. Amen? Yeah. Paul's prayer for us to be filled with the, the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's put it up there, Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have it ready, I'll just read it from here. Ephesians 3, we're going to start reading at verse 14. <coughs> we have a new computer that's going to be set up in the back. Probably by next week. Come on, somebody. That's a lot quicker than this one. We've had some very generous church members. Um, 
couple that really felt like rising up and and uh, and we're, we have everything, almost everything that we need to have our booth set up by next Sunday in the back. Soundboard. I mean, we're going to another level, man, of excellence. And it's such a blessing. God is so good. Thank you for your people, Lord. Thank you for the faithful, generous people in this house. Amen. I just don't want to belittle that because it's such a blessing. Verse 14 of Ephesians 3. Let's close with this. Are you ready? When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Oh, that's so good. You know, when I prepare a message, sometimes the Holy Spirit says, you know what's way more important than you laying out all that stuff? Having my heart for my people. And then I think about God's people and I, I do this. I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father. So when you think about your life and the relationships you have, you should stop and pray to Papa and thank him for what you have. Can I hear you say amen? amen. Next verse, this is the apostolic prayer of Paul, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Notice that he says Papa, he says Abba, he says Father before he says creator of all things because that's the revelation that we have in Christ. Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. The word dwell is the Hebrew word. If we take it back, it's the word shaka, the shekinah glory of his presence that dwells within us, that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear you say amen? And he says, he'll dwell in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love. Where are our roots to grow? Deep. Where though? In the love of God. In the love of God. Now, I know that we're rooted in scripture. I believe that we should be rooted in scripture. But if we don't have the revelation of the one who wrote the scripture, forget about it. Your roots should be deep in the love of God revealed in the living Christ. And he says this, your roots grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Next verse. And may you have the power to understand, say comprehend, the ability to comprehend. Are you ready? He says, as all God's people should, how wide, say how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Now, now listen, catch this. We're going to close it. The next verse. This is Paul's prayer for Christians to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the relation to the love of God and the revelation of God as Papa? Look at the last verse. I love this. May you experience the love of Christ through it, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now I love, like the NIV says, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Sometimes we get so stuck on knowledge, we miss the revelation of his love. 
Sometimes we get so stuck on recipe, we miss the encounter. God's calling us into deeper intimacy to his heart, the revelation of his heart. And he says that you would be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it to you real quick in, uh, in the NIV, that last verse. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask, imagine according to his power who is at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you just seal it with a big shout of praise? Come on. I went way longer than I anticipated, but I'm not going to apologize because it was a good message. Praise God. I love every single one of you with all my heart, and I want you to, to capture the spirit of what I'm trying to share, that in the heart of God that is revealed in Jesus, it's everything that you need. It's your answer through difficult circumstances when bad things happen. And guess what? Sometimes when bad things happen, it's not the devil either. We always want to blame somebody. Hello? Yeah. It's not God. It's just life. Sometimes stuff happens. I saw it on a bumper sticker once. <laughs> I want you to close your eyes and would you pray with me? I just want to bless you. And I want, in just one moment after my prayer, I'm going to have my wife come up and dismiss you and call our prayer team up. But I pray that you get a greater revelation of who Jesus is greater revelation of the love that Papa God has for you. He loves you way beyond what you can comprehend. Add up every moment that you've ever had where you encountered the love of God and, and you're weeping and add up every moment, times it by a million, you've barely begun to discover the depths of the love of Papa God. So, Father, I bless your people and I pray for strength and power and a revelation of your love that surpasses all knowledge to come and fill every life and every heart. And though the journey doesn't turn out the way we thought, we know that through the difficult times it made us stronger. Without resistance, we wouldn't have been able to build any muscle. Without, without the valley, sometimes we don't see the fruit that we want. Without the place of the crushing, the new wine and the fresh oil will not come forth. We know that you didn't send the storm, but Lord, we thank you that we learned how to rebuke the storm. And we learned how to rest in you in the storm. And Lord, we, we thank you, Father. Jesus is the answer. So I just bless your people right now. I bless your people right now in the name of Jesus.